everyone, this is Buffalo Ghost Light. I'm Layla. And I'm Zach. And today we're getting into a very interesting topic. We are going to be talking about how to adapt a stage play to a film uh, piece. Uh, so this is, I'm mostly interested in asking Zach about this because you come from a film background. I really come from theater. So this is something that we both had to deal with um, with the spooky one acts that we did back in the fall of this uh, of 2020 and um i know for me i had a little bit of a harder time because i naturally tend towards thinking for the stage whereas um maybe you had an easier time or maybe you just had a different way of approaching it so i was just curious to see like for you let's start from the beginning when you get a script that is a stage play um, how do you start reading it and then thinking about how you're going to turn it into a film? So what's interesting and what I did for like, not research really, but just like to kind of figure out how it's been done before is I would take like a look at like any of the adaptations of a Shakespeare play like on screen in the past hundred years because they tend to always just use straight like what is written for the play very rarely does an adaptation of a shakespeare play differ from the source material well where they'll rewrite it and that's why like when you watch romeo and juliet from like the 1960s and then you watch the Baz Luhrmann 96 uh romeo and juliet film it's always the exact same dialogue, but they're completely different movies in essence. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what I started looking at was how do you take this very, you know, with my plays, they're both conversational. And that's how a lot of plays are where it's because you can't really do a ton of action on the stage. You have a limited amount of space. You don't have the benefit of going back in post-production and fixing some stuff up or adding anything, any spectacle really. So you have to have interesting dialogue to kind of balance that out. And that's what's different about film is that because it's such a visual medium and it requires, you know, one might say film is for somebody with a shorter attention span for the most part <laughs> because you have to have like quick cuts like very rarely there's something in film called the five second rule where you don't have a shot on screen for more than five seconds and it's mm -hmm. kind of a rule that doesn't apply to everything but it's something you kind of want to stick to and when you have a conversation where there's like a monologue and a lot of dialogue you have to keep in mind like how am i going to show this and keep it interesting for a viewer who is watching this on their screen right now and has options to literally anything else like when you're in a theater you're there you're stuck you're immersed in that situation but when you're in front of a computer you know you got your phone in front of you you can walk out of the room walk back and you know completely miss most of what happened and just have no idea what's going on so you have to think of like creative ways to keep the viewer engaged for something like 
Romeo and Juliet, when you look at like the 1960s version, it's very dry. It's very of its time, but it's also very theatrical. Like it's very staged in that oh, in a yeah. way where it's like, yes, this could have been done on a stage, but we have the benefits of, you know, close ups and getting right in on the action when it happens. And then the 96 version where it's just, you know, guns and explosions. And it's I hate that movie, but really, it serves I, as... <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I actually really like the Baz Luhrmann version. And people used to make fun of me when I said that in college. But it kind of, when you really think about it, it does kind of fit the intensity of the period. Like, it, he modernized it in a way where it was like, that's how intense it felt to them at the time. They didn't have right. guns, of course, and they didn't have cars and things, but that feeling of like, I'm very young and I'm so in love that I'll do anything. And this, that kind of recklessness, I think, translated very well to the movie. I will admit, it's not the best version of Romeo and Juliet, <laughs> but it's kind of like a guilty pleasure to me. I like that movie. <laughs> it's fine. Like, I, I think it has great, like, art design and everything. I don't like Baz Luhrmann personally as, like, a filmmaker. He is a music video director, and that's always how I view his work, as, like, oh, this is flashy. It's like watching Michael Bay, but through the lens of somebody who's doing, like, big theater productions or, like, drama, essentially. But he, he does it in big, explosive ways. Like, if you watch Moulin Rouge, that's very much, like, flashy, like, Hollywood style, but it's in that, you know, dramatic, theatric way. But yeah. the Romeo and Juliet, my problem with that movie specifically is that if you're going to modernize it, you kind of have to do that with the dialogue. And that's the big problem with that movie is that they just verbatim do Romeo and Juliet, but they've changed everything. So it's in modern times, but they're still speaking as if it's, you know, the period when Shakespeare wrote it in, and it just comes off as weird and jarring a little bit. Yeah, I Because if I you watch something that. like, you, you could do a Romeo and Juliet story or like an adaptation of it, and there mm -hmm. are other versions, like Titanic in essence is Romeo and Juliet, but it's yeah, on a boat. <laughs> <laughs> basically. <laughs> exactly. And, and, you know, there's ways to do that, and it's interesting because I think from a filmmaking perspective, the 96 version visually is much more interesting and it gets the idea of like, this is a film and we're going to tell it in that way much more than the 60s version. But the one from the 60s is a much better representation of what the stage play is. Mm -hmm. So I think when I sat down to like adapt my my plays i had to think how can i keep this visually interesting how can i make it more cinematic where it's not just a conversation so first things i thought about was okay well i want to have you know nice color correction i want this to look grim i want you to be able to see things that if you were you know if we were doing this for the stage you wouldn't be able to so for severance for example i had the characters, you know, constantly uh, referring to events previously that had just occurred before the play began. And I wanted to show them. We didn't have time to do that, but I kind of wanted to have, like, these flashback death sequences intercut with it. Same thing with when I did Rough Magic, is I had the idea to, like, have these flashback sequences. Because when you tell a story, it's much more, you know, film has that rule of show, don't tell. Mm -hmm. 
and it was difficult to do it with those specific pieces just because of the time constraints and the budget constraints that we had on it. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, we definitely had a, a severe time constraint that we had to work with. Exactly. And even even your play itself, like if you were able to do flashbacks or, you know, stuff like that, because your play is very much telling the story of like the lives of, you know, the, these people who have just passed away, essentially. So, like, do you yeah. think if you had the time, do you think you would have done that or something similar to that? I think so. I mean, when I first got the play, it immediately put into mind the South South's oh my god, I can't say his name when I'm speaking English. South's play No Exit, um, where it's three characters who are basically in hell. And during the course of the play they talk about like why they're there, how did they die? Um and there's no real like flashback moments like there are times where they're thinking back and they're looking on earth after they have died um but it's hell so it's this like supernatural space where they can kind of do that but they never leave the room like they're stuck in that room that's the whole idea of like this is what hell is is you're stuck in a room with these other people that's where that famous line comes from hell is other people um and so when I got the play I was like oh that's really interesting but there wasn't a moment when I was working on it before we even got into film I was like oh it would be really great if we could do a flashback sequence but then I thought about it and was like well one of them died at a party falling down the stairs and breaking her neck I was like I don't know a step person who could do that I don't want to ask the actor to do that and like time-wise to set like we were also it's also during COVID when we were filming so we we wanted to you know keep it as safe as we could and keep the casts as small as we could so it's like I don't think we could do a party like that just sounds unless we even put in a shot of just someone falling down the stairs but I, I just knew that, like, safety-wise, that made me nervous. And then one of the other characters dies swimming in the ocean thinking that she's saving a poor, uh, like, a dolphin. Um, and I was like, We're, that's not happening. Like, we just can't do that. Um, so it was just a, it was something where it, it just, I knew we could not do it with the time that we had, with the budget that we had, um, and also for the safety of the actors, uh, for both COVID and also some of the physical stunts that would have been required. So it was very, it was literally one of those moments where I was like, oh, never mind, we're not doing that. <laughs> right, and that that was a lot of like what I had to do for, for both of my plays for the most part. Like, the Severance itself, I was like, I was thinking, this is a piece of a horror movie. Like, this is a deleted scene from a Friday the 13th movie. That's what we were looking at when we were making that that movie. That's the concept I had for it. So I thought, you know, the entire time, I would have loved to cast, you know, the additional people and kind of flashback to those scenes. But the way we did it when it actually happened, I was thinking, okay, well... We have some physical comedy here. We'll play that up. Like, luckily, it was written with a comedic tone, so we were able to amplify that. But at the same time, kind of keep it tense because we have this impending threat of when this killer is going to pop up again. Because mm-hmm. they're lying dead on the ground the entire time. Or dead, you know, big quotation marks there. Yeah. I, Qu- I realized Quote, unquote, you, dead. <laughs> I realized you couldn't see my quotations, <laughs> what, my air quotes, when I when I actually did that. 
but I had to keep it tense. So I was thinking, how can I tell that in a way to kind of keep it going without, you know, extending it over and over again? Because there's one moment when one of the characters notices that he that the corpse is moving, essentially. So I figured that was my one chance to do that. And I was thinking, you know, how do you how would I have shown that on stage is I probably would have had like the actor kind of like get up and start to crawl away just so everyone could see it. So it was easily identifiable that the killer is still alive. But Mm -hmm. then I had to look at it in a cinematic way. Like, how would they show that in a horror film? So my thought process was like, well, like. In the Terminator, whenever he's shot and, like, knocked down on the ground, and I think it's, like, in the first movie where you don't know if he's dead or, like, what's fully going on, you see, like, the fingers twitch, and I was like, okay, that's how I could do that on stage, have a character, or uh, in the film, have a character notice, and it would be different from a stage, stage Mm -hmm. play, essentially. Yeah, no, I so, and I think I remember watching it and I thought, oh, that's such a cool way of doing it. But I think what was also great with that script was that there was it lent itself to a little bit more physicality and a little bit more action um, because of the fact that it it was a horror movie. And I think, well, it was set within like a horror style. So I felt like, oh, yeah, this will naturally lend itself to a little bit more movement whereas I think for the rest of us most of us had scripts that weren't very physical they were very like you said earlier plays tend to be very uh, discussion based which isn't a problem when you're doing theater but then when you have to transfer it to film it's like okay where do I put the action in this Yeah, exactly. And that's something, you know, I kind of struggled with Rough Magic a little bit because that one is fully just two characters across the table the entire time. And I had to find creative ways to kind of tell the story. And I had, you know, camera angles that would kind of you would tell a film that way anyways, but angles that would reflect emotion and kind of mislead the audience into trusting a character who comes up comes across very sinister at moments so Mm -hmm. a lot of it is being able to tell the story with camera angles which is something that you have to you know include in in a screenplay essentially where you would have you know storyboards which we all did storyboards when this happened for the most i i think did you do storyboards? I, I can't remember. I remember Ellen and I did online, and then Maddie, like, hand-wrote them. Her, her I all. did mine. Yeah, I did mine by hand, um, and then, I, if I remember correctly, I tried scanning them, and at the time, my scanner was uh, being a butt, uh, so I had to take a photo of each page of my... Um, like what I wanted to do and then upload them to our shared drive. I was like, if anyone doesn't know what this is, I totally get it because it makes no sense. Um, But it did help when we actually got there in person and I was trying to explain some of the shots that I wanted to do because there were a couple that there's only like a few times where the characters actually stood. And so I wanted it to be very clear in those moments like what I wanted to happen and those were the moments where I was like okay I'm really glad that I'm sketching this out and trying to get an idea um it still 
wasn't always easy, I think, because when you're doing theater, you're constantly with other people who might be able to better translate your idea in mind. Um, like, I love working with costume designers and set designers and prop designers who can listen to when I'm trying to describe a scene or I have an idea in mind and they go, I know exactly what you're looking for. And then they go off, do their thing and they come back. And it really is like either what I was looking for or even better. And I felt like I mean, that probably definitely happens in, that definitely happens in film too, but it felt with a process like this where it's a lot smaller and we were having to do a lot of things ourselves, it was kind of just... very rushed too. Yeah, yeah. We, were, we really had a very small time uh, to be able to film everything in, so it was like, this is, this, the way I told myself is, this is the best that I know I can do with the tools that I have right now. Because exactly, I'm not used to working in film, and I was very honest about that because I, I definitely know that when it comes to theater, I like working with the interpersonal relationships and why they are reacting this way with each other, especially strangers. I find it so fascinating to see strangers interacting together when they're in a weird situation and so in that sense it was really fun to work with because these are characters who essentially really don't know each other at all and then suddenly are being told you have to tell how you died so that you can then move on and I think that was the way that I approached it was trying to look at the acting side of it and why they were interacting with each other in the first place um and kind of putting trust into people who had more of a background in film and letting them kind of run with it because I had an idea in my mind and I was like you know what this is as good as it's gonna get and we're gonna run with it but I'm gonna work on making sure the acting is good <laughs> right it, it was kind of like what you were saying a few weeks ago about um Shatner versus Nimoy Yes, it, it's exactly. like with with the actors you would have, you know, in in your play specifically, you would have like a lot more exaggerated, you know, body movements and shouting maybe. But then when you have it in that that the in that cinematic way where you're you're constantly cutting between different angles and different you know, character dynamics on screen, essentially. Because yours is very much, you know, two characters... You know, your characters are all sitting around in a circle in a meeting. It's very... It's very uh, Seventh Seal-esque, where it's not a lot of... You know, the Seventh Seal is essentially Grim Reaper playing chess with a man. Mm -hmm. And that's the whole movie, basically. And that's kind of the perfect analogy for how you should adapt a play for screen when you have that limited amount of time and resources because it's such a simple concept that could be done with no money basically mm -hmm. it's the smallest set and then you just have these this character dynamic which is the interesting part it's the dialogue it's the cutting between the the characters and then having like we were talking about in the last episode, you know, your prop, you have the chessboard, you have the pieces, and mm -hmm. that kind of helps tell your story. Whereas if it was a play, you wouldn't really be able to see that aspect of it. Yeah, it would be so far unless you use like unless you went a little comical and went with like bigger chessboard and like bigger chess pieces. Exactly. And then you kind of lose like the 
depth of what is trying to be told, especially with something like Seventh Seal. <laughs> yeah, um, it would be a little bit goofier, maybe. And I think goofy <laughs> is kind of like the perfect thing to say for comedy in theater versus like comedy in in film. In film, a lot of times, not all the time, you know, comedy is usually a little bit more subdued. And then in theater, it's, you know, slapstick isn't the right word, but like there's more, more of a physical, physical element. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Although some of my favorite plays that are more banter-based um, mm-hmm. are things like Oscar Wilde. Um, I don't know why Oscar Wilde was like the only one that popped in my head. But something where it's like there is a quickness to the dialogue, which is probably why Oscar Wilde has translated to the screen pretty well. Because right. he focused so much on that quickness which i think translates yeah in essence it it, for me anyways i think it's a lot easier to like do witty banter and like cut dialogue together when you're editing whereas in theater it's very you know you have to say this exactly like this with this timing and this pacing and it's hard to come across you know 100 percent like that every single time yeah it, it can be very hit or miss um and that was actually i remember when Uh, we did uh, the importance of being earnest when I was in high school, uh, in my first high school. And we had found that we had to add in um, little bits, like little physical elements to it, because for many of our high school friends, like they didn't get the dialogue as well. It was also because we weren't clipping it as quickly as it needed to go. and like certain actors, they really had fun with the more physical side of it. And for me, what I found very frustrating, and I think one or two of the other actors was that we knew how funny the language could be, but we also knew that for some of our peers, it just wasn't translating. They just didn't get the humor of it and how it worked. So we found ourselves leaning more towards the physical comedy side because we knew that that would be easily understood. Um, Which is funny because I recently watched the movie remake of The Importance of Being Earnest that has uh, Colin Firth in it. And Exactly as you said, where there's a lot of show don't tell, there's a lot of cutscenes where like characters will be talking about something, but then on screen something completely different is happening, and that kind of explains what will be happening later on, or refers to um, something that may not have been told in the play, but adds another level to it. And it it was something where when you said that, it really made sense to me. Where I was like, okay, I see how there are the positives of doing this on stage and there are positives to doing it within film. Um, and they're just very different. Right. It, it's kind of like the difference between writing a sitcom with a laugh track versus like writing an episode of the office is the best example I could have because with the sitcom, when there's a laugh track, it's kind of, you know, it, it, it's, it's very much like theater versus film in that aspect because the office is all done handheld camera with you know it's single camera instead of multi-cam where Mm -hmm. sitcoms in essence are very much like plays where the actors will pause for the laughter and there's that timing to it Mm -hmm. where it's like it's you know it's like the in-between i guess you would call it yeah i was actually just thinking that when you were saying it where 
if someone were, as an actor, transitioning from stage to screen, probably a really good in-between for them would be to do a sitcom because it takes elements of the play where you need to know when to pause and have the laugh come in and you have to be able to... um, for many sitcoms they have a camera on one side like I know with friends that was always a thing where there would maybe be like three cameras but you do have to cheat your body out fairly often when you watch sitcoms they I don't think they do it like it's not like in theater where it's a full cheat out but there are definitely times where they have to not fully turn their back to the camera because otherwise it's completely lost what's going on um and but you still have to have that more nuanced acting you can be big but it's not theater big because then it becomes too much for the camera yeah and that is where you see like a lot of actors make that transition like actors that were traditionally stage and theater actors you know they get cast in a sitcom and then all of a sudden they're in movies or even stand-up comedians because they're used to performing for an audience they make that jump Mm -hmm. into a sitcom and then they're in movies it's Mm -hmm. very much like I guess it's, in a way, you could write a sitcom and then show it as a stage play for for the most part. You know, you have limited limited settings. They're all... It, it's written to be performed to an audience already. Mm-hmm. And I guess that would be kind of the big takeaway there, is that that is the in-between, and that's kind of like... If you were going for a balance of it. Like, this is, this is a quick mini rant, I guess, but... Uh, Golden Globe nominations just came out and Hamilton is nominated for um, best comedy or musical, which I, I that kind of peeves me a little bit because Hamilton, it, the one that released last year anyways, is just a, you know, it's a recording of a stage play of mm-hmm. a stage mu- musical, whereas Yes, it is a recording, and you can watch it, and they've added it, they added editing and sound design to it, mm-hmm. but if they were to adapt Hamilton for a film, that's an extremely different thing. That would be mm-hmm. done in a totally different way. Yeah, it's it's the difference between... That's always something that has been interesting for me since... Uh, COVID happened in in New York, we had um, the pause and we had to stay inside a lot more. And there were a lot of theater companies that started releasing filmed versions of plays, recordings. And there was always this element for me where it was like, it's like watching a play you're watching the play but you're not really interacting with it organically as if you were actually sitting there, but it doesn't feel like a film. Because right. it's not edited for that. You you can really tell when you're watching it, this is for an audience. This is for a live performance, but they captured it via film. So it's a really great way of seeing something in history that you may not have been able to see otherwise. But at the same time, it's definitely not film. Like right. in the sense of being a movie. Yeah, and th- I, I feel like, me personally anyways is that there's a big even with with a movie or a tv show there is kind of a disconnect there with covid especially a lot of 
big budget, you know, blockbuster movies going directly to TV in a way I wouldn't traditionally watch a movie like that the first time. And it Mm -hmm. kind of affects my opinion of it and like what I think of it. And Mm -hmm. I wonder if that's it's got to be similar anyways for for something like a production. That's why I haven't seen Hamilton yet, like the recorded version, because I know that I should probably see it the way everybody else has, you know, the way it's meant to be seen, which is in a theater with an audience on a stage. And then I could go and watch, like, that production done by the original cast and everything and have an appreciation for it and enjoy it. I don't watch it right now because I know I'm not going to get that same experience. But Mm -hmm. what else is interesting is I wonder how many people are actively watching, you know, stage stage plays and stage musicals at home right now and they traditionally wouldn't go to theaters but they're getting that different experience and now maybe they're more compelled to go to a theater oh i hope so i really do right because i know people who are like I would never go to a movie theater like I don't want to pay to see a movie and then a couple months later I could watch it at home and they're getting that horrible experience of you know being stuck at home and now they're craving to go to a movie theater and enjoy (laughs) these movies and pay an outrageous fee in order to see something in a different Mm -hmm. way so it's kind of interesting in that aspect because even like like fathom events that have been happening recently where they will show a recorded play which is what they were going to do with that that cut of hamilton before covid is mm-hmm. that they were going to show it like limited release in theaters with an audience which is honestly i would do that maybe just because it kind of gives half of that experience like it's mm-hmm. the best of both worlds in an essence yeah i i do hope that with COVID because there were a lot of opportunities online to be able to see these big productions. I know National Theater did a lot of it and all they asked were donations if people were able to do so. And they were amazing productions. There was a version of Midsummer Night's Dream that was fabulous. There was a version of Twelfth Night that was so, so beautiful. Um, And I do hope that people see recordings like that and they they think to themselves like this is something that either I've actively avoided or something that I didn't know was going to be interesting to me because I thought that theater was a certain way and I hope that people can look at things like that and say oh this is a different medium that has a lot of value in it just like film is a medium that has a lot of value in it they're just different values exactly they tell stories in such different ways but they're both very beautiful ways and I, I couldn't agree more. And um, one more thing I wanted to bring up is in high school, I actually got an appreciation for those differences when my high school drama teachers probably shouldn't have been showing this movie, uh, <laughs> The Shape of Things. I don't know if you've oh. ever seen that. Yeah. <laughs> yep. One of the most upsetting movies I've ever seen. And then afterwards, he was like, OK, now we're going to watch the stage version done by the exact same cast directed by the same person and see like exactly how they changed everything which is an extremely enlightening experience to a bunch of you know high school filmmakers english majors people who want to learn this stuff Mm -hmm. and i think that i don't think i was trying to find it earlier it's not available anywhere to watch right now (laughs) which maybe for the best because it's a very upsetting movie but it's interesting to watch it 
with through those two different lenses exactly you know the only thing that's changed is one is a production on stage the other is a production in with film with the ability to you know show environments and have the editing and music and it's done completely differently though Mm -hmm. and i think it's it's such a benefit to to have those two things and it's something i would honestly like to see more like i know we're not supposed to like this but aaron sorkin's of mice and men adaptation that he he did for stage (laughs) like if they did a movie version of that with the Mm -hmm. same cast and everything i think that would be an interesting comparison between those two pieces Mm -hmm. yeah because there's a lot of very visual stuff that takes place that you know for the stage you have to limit or do certain things to make it work but on film would you would be able to do a lot of different visual elements exactly and i think especially with somebody like Aaron Sorkin who's kind of he was a playwright and he's nailed dialogue in film and now he directs his own movies and they're they're amazing mm-hmm. and you know when we have somebody a creator like that who is able to kind of balance the best of both worlds and show people like this is the way we can do something this is a way we can also do it Mm-hmm. And it kind of spearheads that movement where people like me who are film, like interested in film, and then kind of passively had this appreciation for theater, kind of combines those interests. And now I'm lodged in both worlds where I'm learning more and more about theater because I want to get more involved in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it would be something that's very cool. It's. It's definitely something that would enable people to better understand, like, why these mediums are both so important, but also so very different, like, at their base level. Exactly. And that is my thesis on why (laughs) you should adapt plays for screen and vice versa. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. (laughs) I was going to say that, but I was like, are we still saying that? I'm still saying it. Um, (laughs) Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us today. This has been really fascinating. I am always really interested to see how different mediums and media are able to tell different stories it's just so interesting to me um but we do want to mention a few things before we let you go uh zach do you want to take uh patreon uh yeah if you have money burning a hole in your pocket and you really want to <laughs> donate it to some great people doing some awesome things for buffalo arts uh you can donate to the green buffalo productions patreon and we will take that money and put it to good use we are going to continue making great productions on both on stage and online we have the quarantine quarters which we Mm -hmm. do once a month uh and weekly writing challenges uh we also have some upcoming radio plays including emerald terrace and almost paradise I was gonna. You can edit in a little drum roll there while I was building up to it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then we're also doing. uh, We're also part of the Buffalo Theater Workshop. Um, Both, uh, well, Ellen, Maddie, and I. We are all moderators uh, for that group, and it is a group that uh, actively helps uh, playwrights, local playwrights, improve their works. And we actually have a very exciting uh, playwriting workshop in May that will be taking place. 
love that Maddie is going to be, Maddie, who's one of our founders, uh, she will be running that workshop. So if you're interested in that, definitely check out um, the Buffalo, uh, Green Buffalo Productions website, and there is more information on that workshop in May that will be taking place. We want to thank Everlasting Enlightenment for our intro and outro music. You can find them on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. Yeah, so thank you so much for joining us today. We've had a lovely time, and we hope to see you next time.